A few years ago, I took my family to uh, Park City, Utah. How many of you have been to Park City, Utah? Anybody? It's a beautiful place. Um, and if when you go, the thing that you can't miss is just off the highway, there's an Olympic training center. And uh, one of the best things we did, the greatest memories I have of that, that trip is we took our kids to the training center and um, the, the instructors there demonstrated for us what the Olympic athletes go through in order to learn how to um, make their, their jumps when they're skiing. And, you know, obviously there's not snow on the ground year-round. And so they used slides like this. And I'm telling you, when you watch some of the stunts and the flips that they do from an, an elevation that is ridiculous, like you're like, this guy's going to break his neck. I am going to watch somebody break his neck. Like, cover your eyes, kids. I don't know how this is going to go, right? And they start at the top of the mountain, and they pick up an amazing speed, and they they get off the ramp. They do several flips. I know that the picture's pretty small right here, but hopefully you can see it. You can see a guy, right, upside down, head facing toward the water, okay? And uh, he has jumped off that ramp, okay? He is in midair with his skis, and he's going to land in the pool. The reason why you see all those bubbles, anybody got a guess? Okay, people ask that. People say it all the time to make it softer. Actually, they told us the reason why they do that is because when you're flipping like this, it is hard to distinguish between the sky and the pool. And when you see all that right there, it helps them with their eyesight, among other reasons. Okay, so they can know where they are and they'll, they'll be able to land, hopefully, like this. And you would literally watch them not land like a belly flop or on their back or anything like that, after all those spins and rotations, their skis would just hit the middle of the pool just like that, and then they would just kind of gently fall in. It was amazing. I mean, jump after jump after jump. And all I could do is think to myself, okay, what was it like for the first guy to say, oh, okay, I'll do that? I mean, do you have friends like that? Do you have, do you have buddies who are like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I'll do it. I don't care. I mean, that's not me. I don't, I don't do that, okay? I don't look at ramps like that and go, oh, let's jump that. But I do have some friends who do it. And, and I think about what was it like for the first guy's first jump? I mean, if you've done it a hundred times and you get pretty good at it, that's one thing. But there's always a first time, right? And I would think that would be terrifying. And so what they did after they wowed you with all of the jumps and the tricks is they stopped and they said, let me show you how people get here. And they brought out these little kids, <laughs> these little kids, and they put them on trampolines and you watched them on the trampoline, just jump, jump, and they do a simple front flip, right? And then they jump, jump, and they do a little back flip. And then they'd go to a little slide, a little slide, and they'd put on the skis. And these little kids, they'd go up like this, and they'd take that same motion, that front flip, boom, go in the water. Same motion, back flip, boom, go in the water. I mean, these are little, little kids. And they were saying, essentially, look, no one starts here. No one is crazy enough, and nor would we let them start here, go rocketing down a slide 
and then do multiple flips and land in the water. You don't start there. Where you start is with a basic, can you dive in the water? Can you do a front flip on a trampoline? And so that is where the Olympic athletes start in basic flips. Why do I tell you all that? It's because I remember walking into rooms much like this. I remember well walking into rooms much like this where I did not feel like um, I fit in. I, I did not feel confident that if someone called on me or asked me a question about God, Bible, theology, that I would know how to answer anything. And I, and frankly, I didn't look much forward to rooms like this because I felt like somebody was gonna put me on a slide like this and say, hey, jump. And I, I just wanted to go, no, dude, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm over here. I'm not a jumper. I, I don't ski. And, and the way in which you even talk to each other is a whole nother language, right? This, this language about gospels and narratives and miracles. Like, I'm not even sure I believe all of those things. And so it was intimidating to walk into rooms like this because I wasn't a skier, okay? I, I, I had yet to believe in who Jesus is. I didn't know what I thought about the Bible. And I just want to acknowledge in a room this size, okay, there's some of you who are walking in today and you're like, hey, why am I here? I woke up early, right? I said yes because my friend invited me and I like, you know, just hanging out with my friend and somehow I walk in here, this big old building, right? And I'm a little bit gun shy as to why I'm here and what's gonna happen today. And I just want one to thank you for being willing to come. I wanna thank you because I, I remember what it was like and I remember it was intimidating and we're not gonna ask you, okay, to get on a slide like that. And we're okay with people who have doubts and we're okay with people who are unsure of what they believe right now. And we just love it that you're here. And conversely, I wanna challenge others of you. This may be your 10th summit, okay? And you've come in and you've gotten a lot of information. You've learned a lot. You've taken a lot in. Your Bible's highlighted 400 ways to Sunday, right? You've read the Bible every year, probably twice a year. You've memorized all the verses, okay? And you've, you've graduated from the front flip and the back flip. And my challenge to you is you need to get on a bigger slide, a bigger ramp, and not just in information, but in application. And so wherever you are, right, whether you're doing practice the front flip or you're jumping off ramps like this or somewhere in between, okay, our goal is to help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. That, that's our goal. Our goal is not for you to con compare yourself to the other guy, right? Our goal is certainly not that you become just a smarter sinner, but our goal is that you would learn this what it is that we feel like God is trying to teach you through his word, I firmly believe that God wants, God, the maker of heaven and earth, wants to have a relationship with you. I firmly believe he is still speaking through his word, through his people, through his spirit today and wants to communicate with you. I firmly believe it for my whole life. And he's preserved his word in that text so that you could know him 
It's, it's not just about the information, but it is about how do we then live this out so that we could be a blessing to others, lead others. That, that's our strategy. That's our strategy. You, you won't hear each week, you won't hear a talking head up here, right, for an hour. You'll hear someone, I'll tell you what it's gonna look like. You'll hear someone out up here walk through the text in which we're gonna read as we make our way through the Gospel of Mark. You'll hear somebody up here for about 15, 20 minutes. And then we're gonna break into small groups and then you're gonna be able to, with other men, sit there and talk about this. So what? what what's, the, what's the implication of what it is we just learned? Why does that matter? What is God trying to teach us? And that's gonna give us the opportunity to, to share where the rubber meets the road and what that looks like in our lives. So that hopefully we can then leave here and make this community a different place. That, that's why we're here. So no matter where you are in, that, in your spiritual growth, whether you're exploring the faith, new in Christ, growing in Christ, or would say, hey man, I'm mature in Christ. I, I really am excited you're here. And our goal is just to help you take that next step. We're, we're looking at um, the gospel of Mark. We're, we're continuing our study. Some of you, this is your first time to summit, which I'm really excited about. Just so you know, this is the largest number of uh, people who have registered for summit we've had. There's over 700 guys who's re- registered for summit. I don't know if there's 700 in here, but this is the largest number. And uh, there are a couple hundred that I know this is your first time. And I just want you to know, you, we are in the middle of a study on the gospel of Mark, continued from last spring. That's, that's where we are. And in order to help you um, kind of catch up and to review where many of us uh, were last spring, you have a chart um, when you came in of the gospel of Mark. It's a front and back uh, chart. It has a lot of background information there. And then it has uh, the first half of the book um, documented, detailed, Keywords, um, titles, chapters of, uh, or titles for each chapter. And so that's a reference point for you to catch you up. And my goal here in the next few minutes is just to give you a background of the Gospel of Mark. And then I want to focus on one, uh, one primary idea, and then I'm going to dismiss you um, into small groups. So the first thing is, just real simply, what are Gospels? What are the Gospels? So the Gospels are, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's what opens up your your New Testament. It's the uh, four books of the Bible that tell the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, and we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. Each Gospel has a different theme, a different perspective. And a Gospel simply is, the way in which I describe it, is they're selective topical narratives or mosaics of Jesus Christ with a theological perspective. They complete, complement, and confirm each other. So why do I say that? Is because when you read the gospel, sometimes you may read it and you may go, man, how does this story fit with this story, which fits with this story? Like, why is it all laid out like this? And what I want you to know is, if you've ever seen a mosaic, a mosaic is lots of little pictures that are intended to be put together and organized in such a way is that when you step back and look at the big picture, you have a larger purpose or picture that's being painted. And this is the portrait or picture of who Jesus is. 
as Matthew described him, as Mark, as Luke, and as John. And they're all different. So Matthew describes Jesus as um, a teacher. Okay, he is the king of the Jews. And what you see emphasized there, written to the Jewish people, is that he is a teacher. And so it, it is um, broken up around five of Jesus' messages. It emphasizes his teaching. Okay, Mark, what we're going to study, in contrast, has very little teaching. Very little teaching. And instead, focuses primarily on what? His miracles his miracles. Who was Mark written to? It was written to the Romans who were being Roman Christians who were being persecuted for their beliefs. And Jesus is shown as a man of action. You see the word immediately repeated over and over and over again. And the whole idea here, the whole idea is that Mark is trying to show these people who are being persecuted for their faith, trying to faithfully follow Jesus, that the one you are following is sovereign, powerful, and in control despite the persecution you face. And whatever he says and whatever he wills, boom, it can come about. You are following one who is strong. You are following one who cares for you. You are are following one who is a suffering servant. And in his economy... In his economy, it is the ones who serve, the ones who are last, who will be first. God has an upside-down economy, which is antithetical to this world, our values, and our way of thinking. And that's what Mark is going to show you. What does it mean to follow him? What is it going to cost you? Who is Jesus? He is a suffering servant. And the key verse is Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the whole idea here. The book of Luke is going to show that Jesus is the perfect man. Okay, he's written to the Greeks. And John, he's the savior of the world. That's how they arrange their material. And it's important. It's important to know that. They're all describing for you the same person, but they have a different purpose. And we're looking at Mark. And we're picking up right in the very middle. I gave you a sheet with background information um, that tells you the outline of the book, some unique characteristics. You guys can read all that, see all that. I would encourage you to do it. You have a book by um, Tim Keller that uh, I think is going to really help shed light on what it is that we're reading. So hopefully you, you pick that up. But In just a few minutes I have left, this is the idea I want to leave with you. Because I think this this term is, is way overused. It's the whole concept, it's the whole idea of what does it mean to be a servant leader. What does it mean to be a servant leader? See, you don't have to go to very many even leadership workshops, even outside in the business corporate world, and hear that term used. But There is no greater example, and there's no one who taught on this more, and there's no one who exemplified this more than Jesus Christ. It's he is the one who who showed and demonstrated and lived a life of servant leadership. And um, it's not just an lofty ideal. 
And in your groups, you'll have an opportunity, and I would ask you to spend some time just to think about, hey, what does this word mean? And some of the things I think you'll discover is a servant leader, as opposed to somebody who thinks in a hierarchy way of leadership or positional leadership, a servant leader is someone who, who gives, not someone who's focused on what he gets. Servant leadership is someone who serves and puts the best interests of others ahead of his own. He's other-focused, not self-focused. He serves in order, he leads in order to serve others rather than leading so that others would serve him. And a lot of this gang, I'm convinced, kind of go, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want to be. And we think, yeah, that, that's the way I want to lead my company the father I want to be, the parent, the, the spouse I want to be. And we can check that, but I'm really asking you. I'm really asking you to examine, hey, stop and think for a second. As you go through this study, stop and think about this upside-down economy in God's scale. That what God really values, not just in word, but in action. And I want to take just a few minutes because there's 700 guys here. And we're all going to go from here after the study all over the city of Dallas today. We're going to go to work. And my challenge to you is to not think about this just as individuals and how we serve each other in the church. But what would it look like for you, where you are, to serve your coworkers, your boss, your employees, your clients, your customers in such a way that they would go, hey, there's something different about you. There's something different about the way you lead this company, the way you serve others, the way you put others' interests before your own. Because let me tell you something, as a pastor, somebody who works at the church, as I interact with folks all over the city of Dallas, you know what I hear? I hear people say, hey, man, I do business with people all the time who claim to believe what you believe, and there's nothing different about them. And I, and I just sit there and go, hey, I hate to hear that because I know I could introduce you to several men who would prove you wrong. But I hate that that's what you do. So I want to give you an example of a friend of mine. His name's Tom Landis. Tom Landis, is, uh, I got to know several years ago, his life was a wreck until Jesus Christ intervened. And Tom has taken this idea and said, hey, what would it look like for me to put all of my business training, all of my experience into practice that I could actually serve other people, use the skills that God has given me to further his kingdom and love other people? Let's watch this video together. inspiration for Howdy Homemade was Coach Gene Stallings' book, Another Season. 
which uh, chronicled uh, the life of his son, Johnny, who was born with Down syndrome. I wanted to, to do a business and I wanted to do a restaurant and I believe that it's, it's, it's mostly about people, not about food. W what I love with what we're trying to do here and it's a team of people that are, are, are trying to say, you know what, we will take whoever God brings in our doors, we'll take them and we'll try and train them. The saddest thing in life to see is potential in someone that's never realized. And when I saw Coleman Jones serving the whole Highland Park football team at my restaurant, we're short-staffed, and he's in there working with a smile, you just know right away, there's a leader right away. People notice that when they walk in the room, and that's Coleman Jones. That's the first thing you notice about him, is he is a leader. And that's what we see uh, in our employees. That's what we see in Coleman. I like being uh, the head of the family here. It's done so much for me here and I'm glad to have Audi put in my life. I knew that Tom saw something in me when I was serving, and he said, call me anytime. And so I am now trying to work here full time and spend more time here. I am the vice president, and I also run the employees and I help them serve the ice cream. I also work the uh, cash register and help people, help the uh, employees on the cash register. And I think I've been doing a great job of teaching the employees. I think perhaps in, 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 in any journey, in, in anything, we're ultimately looking for hope. And it's something we search for, we want to buy, we want to we earn, we want whatever. And, and, and there is no better group of people with hope than the parents of kids with special needs. People rise to meet expectations. I see it over and over and over in Coleman's life. But really, Tom's expectations are so far beyond really even what mine are. And so we really were so excited about Howdy and we have been amazed at how Tom Really, he has to be led by the Lord because I can't figure out how he comes up with the great ideas that he does. I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably the most asked parent of, you know, do you have a child with? And then they have to whisper, special needs, you know, and uh, and it's an interesting, I hope we can move away from that whisper, but I, I don't have a, a child with special needs. But from just talking to so many parents that do, that it seems that, that, that something like Howdy Homemade has is, is just been on their mind for so long to do. I, I think Howdy will be a failure if Coleman doesn't own this business in a couple years. And, and, and the more you're around people with special needs, the, the less you see of their, their disability. Because if we're honest, not a lot of people out there uh, have the privilege to have a buddy or a friend or a coworker like Coleman. Ever since I started, he's uh, been a very uh, kind uh, boss. Tom's like a, a one-man show here. He, uh, he really knows how to hit the ball out of the park. And I believe that Tom, as a gracious, well-thought man, and very humble, can be the, the nicest, most understanding person. Our desire for, for our employees, for, for the Coleman Jones, is for them to have the American dream, for them to own their own business, for them to own their own home, 
for everything, that, that, that there just are no limitations. You know, I, I absolutely uh, can't wait until I hand Coleman the keys to this place and say, you're working and I'm going fishing. And, 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 I, and I absolutely see that day happening. That My hope is that, that Coleman will remain humble and know that this is not about him at all. It's about what can God can do through him. I think what we're going to see is just all over the country, throughout uh, all sorts of restaurants and other businesses, more and more people with special needs being employed. Uh, and and that, that each person's step and journey at Howdy is just something to, to, that will hopefully propel them out into the world to do bigger and better things. A prayer, that's right. And my prayer as we started, I just said, Lord, save us from being another North Dallas Bible study. You know, I mean, I nothing in, that just doesn't inspire me just to get with a bunch of guys and talk about news, sports, and weather, drink bad coffee, and go to work, right? I, I just, that's not what gets me up early. I want to be on mission with men who have a heart like that, who are taking theology and asking themselves, hey, what am I going to do about it? What changes do I need to make? Did you hear what he said? I mean, I, I saw this in preparing for this time together where the whole theme of the book of Mark is how do we serve and love other people as, and follow the example of Christ? And I'm sitting there going, man, a, a, a picture's worth a thousand words. And you hear what he said? He goes, hey, look, this will be a failure if Coleman doesn't own this thing, right? How many guys in business are saying that? They're just saying, hey, this will be a failure if I don't make my millions and get out while the getting's good. That's what drives most people. And what he's doing is saying, hey, listen, if I can set him up to succeed and use all of my expertise so that others could succeed, that is an upside down, radically different way of thinking. That will change our businesses, our communities. And that's what makes a dying world look at Christians, Christ followers, and go, okay, there's something different about you. And that's my challenge to you. Not just front flips anymore. Larger ramps to love others, to follow Christ more wholeheartedly and be the people God's called us to be. I'm going to pray for us to get out of here. Father, thank you for uh, the fact that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross in our place to pay our penalty so that we could have a relationship with you. And three days later, you rose again so that we could have hope, not just for the life to come, but right here and now, that by the power of your spirit, we could love people. We could lead companies. We could serve customers. We could care for clients. We could lead families, our spouses, in a way that is different. But Father, we could see the gospel lived out, transform our community. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to consider in our own individual context what it is you're calling us to. Save us, Lord, from being another North Dallas Bible study. May we walk out from here, Lord, we're firmly convinced of your love for us, your purpose in our lives, and what you're calling us to. May you help us, Lord, to, to um, embody the gospel 
not just in thought, not just in word, but in action. We love you and thank you.